Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library of books you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about it. So if you like books and just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. Now this week's book, I am not even sure how it ended up on my radar. I suspect it was a random Amazon suggestion based on other books I had purchased. And I knew I had a vague idea of what it contained at the time, but just, just not really how bad quote unquote fake news can get until I read, that is, The Grey Lady Winked, How the New York Times Misreporting Distortions and Fabrications Radically Alter History by Ashley Rinsberg. And the accompanying cocktail is called The Grey Lady, which is one and a half ounces of gin, three quarter ounces of lemon juice, half ounce of Earl Grey syrup, egg white and lemon peel. So let's do this. When I said fake news above, I was half kidding. I, I don't mean it in the way Trump means it to demean and decry all news that I disagree with as being fake. There is disagreeable news out there that is very, very real and very legitimate. And the author does make it a point to, or to disclaim essentially that the New York Times does in fact have some of the best reporters out there. But when they get it wrong, they go big man. I mean, for real, absolutely garbage, fakest of fake news being reported as the real deal on the pages of the New York Times. All the news that's fit to print, according to them. And they lie about it a lot. I do know what made me pick this book this month was specifically reading about the Holodomor last month. And in that book, Red Famine, author Ann Applebaum mentioned the criminal misreporting of Walter Durante. And I kind of, I was like, hmm, I wonder if it's in you know, the, the gray lady winked. And so I picked it up and I just looked at the table of contents. Oh, yes, it is. Okay. Well, this book's going on my to be read immediately list. And then again, Humberto Fantava's book, Exposing the Real Che Guevara, which mentioned uh, the Times super generous reporting and coverage of the movements of the dude. Generous does not begin to cover the scandalous misrepresentation of facts that the Times is guilty of, the denial of such, and most alarmingly, the whys behind it. What am I doing here? Oh, good. They're on separate pages. I'm going to have to flip back and forth. Mother blink. Okay, that's okay. So it says, so I'm going with botanist gin this time. Um, not sponsored. Again, going to disclaim that because the recipe specifically calls for it. And I'm about half out of the aviation gin. And it's good to have a variety to offer guests. I mean, it's bad for my liver, but good for my hostessing skills. I'm not sure that I've ever actually read a Times article, or if I have, it was an article that had been syndicated through a local paper. And I think to the best of my recollection, the closest I ever came was their staunch defense of their reporter over the Valerie Plame affair. And I remember thinking at the time, yes, I mean, they, they should protect their sources. That's a journalistic privilege, and, and it's how we get the truth out there. That's part of the protections of the fourth estate. I was wrong on that one. He does cover Valerie Plame, and it turns out that Scooter Libby had given them written permission to reveal that he was the source. He's like, no, nah, tell him, it's cool, tell him. The Times refused to basically as a smokescreen for the other issues that were occurring in the paper at the same time. Quality, quality. <sighs> these people, these fucking people. He starts at the Times reporter station in Berlin in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and, and I kind of knew this. It, it didn't quite hit my radar the same way. But I do remember in The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and he specifically cites that as well, that William Shire rep Shirer reports that on what he saw and reports that the New York Times was essentially the, the 
propaganda arm in the in the United States for the Nazi Party. Uh, reporter Otto Tolishus reported the Nazi Party line and received a Pulitzer Prize for his writing. Quality journalism right there. And then there's when the ultimately when the entire rest of the foreign press corps was effectively imprisoned in the winter of 1941 at the Chateau of Bad Nauheim. The one journalist who was not imprisoned with everybody else was the Times Berlin bureau chief Guido Anderis. Wasn't that interesting? Care to guess why he was let off the hook and not imprisoned with everybody else? It was because of, direct quote, his proved friendliness to Germany. And that quote, while in the book, was not a direct quote from the author. That's a direct quote from Nazi Foreign Undersecretary Ernst Vormann, who issued the roundup order on the other reporters in retaliation for actions taken against Nazi agents in the United States. And he specifically told them not to round up Guido because of his proved friendliness. Solid. Solid. If I get this in my eye, I am so screwed because I already have allergies and my eyes are already like flared and irritated with me today. I'm not having a good multitask day. I literally can't talk and squeeze a lemon at the same time today. So, you know. Even more horrifying than the Times' friendliness to Germany was its refusal to report on the Holocaust at all. And while the rest of the world was reporting on the mass murder of Jewish populations across Europe, uh, the Times on June 27, 1942, reported, quote, more executed in Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, and Poland, Jews told 700,000. It was a 72-word blurb on page 5, like below the fold. It was buried. Turns out the Times had a specific policy in place about not reporting on Jews at all. Just fabulous. Um, when I did my report on the Red Famine, I made a joke somewhere in there about self-hating Jews. I have already heard at least one rumor that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is a Nazi. This despite the fact that he's Jewish. I mean, I suppose it's not impossible, right? I mean, it's kind of far-fetched that I've got to get that curtain hung. It's kind of far-fetched that he might, you know, be both Jewish and a Nazi, but it's not technically impossible that he could hold both ideologies in his heart. Maybe he's one of those self-hating Jews. Maybe. Turns out I found him. The Times is owned by the Sulzberger Ox clan, who are all Jewish. Uh, nothing against the Jewish faith or community, uh, but I do believe this desire to downplay their own heritage, basically ascribing Judaism as nothing more than a religion, while denying the deep cultural roots of the faith, contributed to their bizarre reporting policies. And the Times in the 1940s was trying really hard to not report on Jewish matters because they didn't want to be accused of being a Jewish newspaper, even when the Jews were the literal news. So they just buried it. But at that same time, the, the family daughter married and her wedding received a big write-up in the Times. I mean, a mere 72 words were dedicated to the tragedy while they did like a half-page spread on her wedding and what the bride wore and how all the bridesmaids were dressed. So the Earl Grey syrup is something you have to make for yourself. The recipe for it's included in the recipe and I'll also include it on my, on my blurb in the comments. 
And what's really fun is this has a half ounce of egg white. I don't know how you're supposed to separate out a half ounce of something that basically has the consistency of snot. I, myself, am just going to include an egg white and hope that it's not too much egg white. So, I mean, it could be too much egg white. We'll see. Come on, crack, you little bastard. Yeah, that's probably as good as I'm going to get. Consistency of snot. Rinsberg does cover Durante's reporting on the Holodomor, or rather, lack of reporting, for which he also received a Pulitzer Prize. Durante is the reporter who received the prized interview with Stalin, and he reported what Stalin wanted the world to hear. Nothing about the Ukraine, nothing about the gulags, nothing about the famines within Russia proper, or the secret police, the roundups, just strict party line reporting. Lit on here. First you dry shake it, which means no ice. Then you ooh, add ice and shake it again. Super sexy. We're supposed to get some lemon peel. I'm gonna chop my finger off doing this. I just know it. I don't know how much lemon peel, but you're supposed to probably not drop the sticker in there. Essentially get the lemon oils off of the peel and into the cocktail. We'll see how this goes. The entire rest of the world did know what was going on. I mean, they, they may not have wanted to know because they really needed Stalin on their side for what was happening with Germany. But Gareth Jones got the word out. People knew what was going on in Ukraine. And this guy, Durante, held... I mean, it was a literal smoking gun, right? I mean, like... I love the First Amendment. I am profoundly grateful that we have freedom of the press and that the government can't interfere with the press. In Berlin, in June 1931, so this is right in the middle of it, the crisis is there, it's real. Durante was in Berlin to renew his passport at the U.S. Embassy. Apparently we didn't have an embassy in Russia where he could do such a thing. And while there, he advised State Department official A.W. Cleforth that, quote, in agreement with the New York Times and the Soviet authorities, his official dispatches always reflect the official opinion of the Soviet government and not his own. End quote. Let's pause on that one. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. It's got some flavor. Durante was a confirmed hedonist. Okay, there is no question that he lived a very good life, reporting the official party line from communist Russia and was treated exceptionally well by the Soviets. It does make me wonder how he actually felt about what was going on in Russia. I mean, that's such a random confession to make. And this disclaimer, this distancing language, this is not my official opinion. This is what the Times wants me to report. And he was distancing himself from that shit show and he, that he was stuck living in. Doesn't excuse him because he could have refused the assignment when he received his Pulitzer. Why did he return to Russia after received receipt? Why was it received in absentia on his behalf? This information's not included. I don't know. I'm guessing he was probably there though. Russia freaking loved him and the New York Times was footing the bill for his party style over there in communist uh, Russia. If it was received in absentia, then when he returned to the States, why didn't he return the prize and start reporting about what really happened? I didn't, Point of fact, the Pulitzer for Durante's reporting from Russia was never returned, despite political pressure from the Ukrainian Americans in the early 2000s to do just that. And in a weirdly ironic twist, which I'll go into at the, at the end of this report, 
The Times hired an independent consultant to determine if the Pulitzer should be returned, and the consultant said, yes, yes, it should. This should absolutely be returned. But the Times declined to report it based on not wanting to erase history. Huh? I mean, get that. They already erased, you know, 4 million plus Ukrainians by denying the famine even happened. I mean, hell, Durante at one point actually made like a throwaway comment during dinner one night that he knew for a fact the number was much higher. But the Times decided it was revisionist history if they returned the Pulitzer. Ponder that for a minute. See if you can figure out the irony on your own before I get to it. Yeah, I like this one. Now, also during World War II, the Times science reporter, William L. Lawrence, was actively reporting on advances in atomic fission, and he was good at it. He was a very capable science reporter. He was able to break down the jargon so that even the most non-science reader could understand what exactly was being said and what was happening. He was so good at it that he understood the advances being made well before the U.S. government did. Uh, ultimately, he ended up being on the government's payroll. Nice, right? I think it was Department of Defense. Paid, his, paid him a stipend or salary through the New York Times, to mask where that came from, helping to hide the effects of the nuclear fallout. Interesting, right? There was another William Lawrence, a William H. Lawrence, also for the Times, who was actually telling the truth about the devastation wrought by Little Boy over Nagasaki. And uh, was it Fat Fat Man? Was Hiroshima, Little Boy was Nagasaki. But the Times, true to form, buried that news. That's They didn't want people knowing just how horrific that had been. And while Rinsberg does not touch on the favorable reviews of Che Guevara, he does cover Fidel Castro extensively. And how the Times' favorable reporting of Fidel, while simultaneously trying to curry favor with the Kennedys, led them to basically fumbling reporting on the Bay of Pigs quality. They touted Castro's Cuba's great liberator, and they never reported on any of the gross humanitarian violations that occurred in Cuba as a result of Castro. Didn't cover that Cuba was basically already a paradise prior to Castro's invasion. Didn't cover any of that. Rinsberg covers how the Times reporting on Vietnam actually escalated that conflict. Kennedy and Defense Secretary McNamara were actually ready for a full troop withdrawal as early as 1963 solid 10 years before they were going to end up actually doing the withdrawal, right? But in order to withdraw safely, they needed Vietnam to be stable. And the Times reporting on No Dinh Diem, I'm probably mispronouncing that, sorry if I am, contributed to so much instability in the reason that Diem was ultimately assassinated, which resulted in an escalation of the conflict. We couldn't withdraw once that happened because it wasn't safe for our guys to withdraw. Uh, hundreds of thousands of soldiers died needlessly as a result of this political reporting. They don't report the news, they make the news. That's dangerous. It's fabulous though. Fabulous that hundreds of thousands of people died because of these assholes. And the reason for that, um, and he reports this anecdote, is, is the heir apparent to the Times was asked by the current publisher, editor, whoever, whoever was currently helming it. And it, I mean, it's, it's in there, but I didn't write it. I, I just didn't get the name specifically. It was one of the Soulsberger Ox, Ox people. Whew, that gin's going straight to me. 
But he basically said, well, do you think that Americans should die if they're over there? And he said, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not their country. It's Vietnam's country. So, yes, the American soldiers should all die if they're over there. So just stop buying the Times, guys. I mean, who needs that? Who needs to support that? Hey, yeah, And the reporting on the war on terror. This might actually be the closest I actually came to reading any of it because, again, their, their columns are pretty widely syndicated. The ultimate fake news propaganda was the reporting of the death of Muhammad al-Dura, right? You have probably heard this name ad nauseum because his death was used to justify Islamic extremists for the last 20 years, okay? Here's the problem. Ultimately, an independent evaluation by France, so it wasn't Israel, it wasn't us, France did an independent evaluation of all of the evidence and footage from the area, the time, and determined there is literally no way in hell that Muhammad al-Dura was killed by Israel. Bullets had to have come from his side. So he's been a propaganda... It, uh, that's assuming he's even dead. I, I think he is, all right? I, I don't think that that kind of grief can be faked, but I think it can be manipulated. And uh, sure as shit was... And from there, the same reporter who reported on the Aldera incident, her and her husband, who were working together in, uh, she was the Sontag? Sontag. Was the Times Bureau chief in Israel. And her husband was one of the key reporters. And they, you know, came back to the States ultimately and then ended up reporting on the war on terror that was so blatantly one-sided and off that even other papers started calling the Times on their one-sided bullshit, like running their own counter-stories, proving just how lopsided and inaccurate the Times reporting was. It's like the early 2000s was the Times' ultimate heyday in stupid reporting after the 1930s and 40s. Okay, so the last 100 years, they've actually had a pretty rough run of it on the big stuff. One of the worst actual scandals to come out was when they hired uh, intern and then staff reporter Jason Blair. Never heard this name before because again, I don't, I don't, I don't read the Times. I just, I don't. But Blair effectively made up or plagiarized a bunch of stories, a bunch of them, which were granted prominence in the paper for well over a year, and that's well over a year after a senior editor expressed grave concerns about his work and advised the Times to stop printing his stories. So people were paying attention. It's just that the people who mattered ignored the warnings. Quality. Quality. This all happened at the same time as the Valerie Plame scandal and the misreporting on the troops. This all occurred at the same time that the Times was being asked by the Ukrainian-American organizations to return Durante's Pulitzer because the Times wanted to hide that. Didn't, didn't want to acknowledge the fact that they've been misreporting for a century, right? This all caused the Times to double down on their bizarre reporting techniques culminating in the 1619 Project. Now, I know you guys have heard of that. I feel like this is probably the most egregious misreporting the Times has done. I can't say that. I can't say that because everything they did during World War II is criminal. It is so criminal, that misreporting. You are there to tell the truth, report the news. I just, after reading this book, I'm like, the Times is little more than, than uh, it, it's like the Inquirer. It's all fake. 
All right, you want to, if you guys want to bring the times down, you can't just buy them out because it is still privately owned, right? Yes, they issue shares, they issue shares within a small thing. I don't believe the times is publicly traded, so there's not really a possibility of a takeover like Musk is doing with Twitter, right? If you want to bring the times down, you got to cancel your subscription, all right? They lose enough subscribers and they'll probably get a bailout from the government because crony capitalism, right? That's that's pretty much how these assholes operate, but ultimately they'll fail. If people stop buying them all right vote with your dollars guys it's effective so the 1619 project remember earlier in this video when I said the Times refused to return Durante's Pulitzer because that would be revisionist history if they returned the Pulitzer and the Times is a-okay on revising history and if it tells the narrative it once told that is right that's the narrative they want told they were fine with revising what was happening in the Ukraine and reporting the Nazi party line, that's the story they wanted told. The Nazis were a-okay. That the socialists weren't murdering their people in numbers far greater than the Nazis could even dream of. I seriously despise the Times. Marxist revisionist history is very much the narrative the Times once told. That's exactly the story the Times once told. And uh, it continues to push and rewrite U.S. history badly. So badly that historians across the world reacted to this garbage. I mean, viscerally, loudly, they wrote letters. And I mean, and I am an amateur historian, right? I mean, I'm reading a shit ton of books, but I am by no means specializing in any one era. I have not read the 1619 Project because... I knew it was brain cancer. I, I, I knew this was garbage. And that belief has been borne out by the response from actual historians. Okay, the people who wrote letters are specialists in these fields. They've dedicated their lives to knowing and understanding these areas of our past and everything that happened to make the, this happen, to understanding how the Civil War happened. What were the, the forces that led up to it? And that absolutely includes the history of slavery. It has to, okay? I mean, hell, the historians, the Times hired as consultants on the project said, this is garbage. What you are writing is not supported by facts. It's a nice thing about history, right? It just is. You can look at all the information around the facts, but you can't change the facts just because you want to. Last year, when I review Jack Weatherford's Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World is a perfect example of history well done. I mean, he never denied that Genghis Khan was brutal. He was a brutal warlord. He never denied that Genghis Khan would roll over a place and basically leave it dead to a man. But he approached the history from a different angle, okay? More specifically, Genghis Khan's side of the story and all the things that were made possible as a direct result of Chinggis Khan's leadership in Mongolia. Never said, no, Khan was a totally great dude. All right, he just told the story from Chinggis Khan's perspective. Totally respect that. And if the 1619 Project had done that, it would have been a valuable contribution to understanding American history. If they had approached America's history strictly from the perspective of the slave trade, I hope to God that 
cannon's not about to explode, that would be really sucky for me. If they had approached America's history from the perspective strictly of the slave trade, covering the devastating effects on black families, both in Africa and then here in the States, that's valuable information, right? But completely lying about history, lying about known facts about causes of various conflicts that have literally nothing to do with what actually happened, and that makes it worth less than the paper it's printed on. It's just garbage. It's garbage reporting. But the Times wouldn't want to revise history. This book was so good. The story flowed consistently, and while I have, as I've said repeatedly, written off this whole paper as trash, Ashley Rinsberg does not. He actually points out where reporting was good, what they got right, and insists that even today the Times has some of the best reporters out there. Oh man, if I had ambitions beyond reading all the books, I could probably make a pretty solid living off of debunking the shit that comes out in the New York Times. I mean, hell, there's already, you know, one book on the, on to on the topic, right? He got a whole book out of debunking the New York Times. I'm sure there's more out there. Anyways, that's it for this week. If you liked what you saw, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.